0: Now with all your hearts song, Ten Thousand Reasons. The sun comes up, it's a new day, darling. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies be. praise him this morning with your hands. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Let's sing that song together, The Splendor of the King. How great is our God? The splendor of a king. voice, trembles at His voice. How great is our God. Sing me how great is our God. All who see how great, how great is our How great is our God? Oh, we'll see how great! How. now. Praise you, Lord. Oh, name above all, names, name. You are worthy of all praise. Oh, my heart will see how great is our God. How great is our is our God Oh sing with me how great That's right. Hallelujah. Oh see how great How great is our God. Sing this again. Name above all names. Oh name above all names Jesus you are the heart but seeing how great is our God. Once again, now name above all names. Oh, name above all names. You are worthy of all praise. Oh, my heart our God. Once again, how great is our God. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. All will see, how great, how great is our God. Let's sing that song together before we change the order of our service. I stand in all of you. Amen. You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension. seen or heard? Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depths of your I stand, I stand, all of you, holy God, to all praise is due. I stand.
1: welcome to service at HBT and uh, we're glad to be able to have this broadcast and to be able to invite you into our service today on this uh, bright Sunday we uh, appreciate God's goodness to us and his mercy and uh, it's always an honor to be able to come together and minister to the Bride of Christ no matter how you have to do it no matter where you do it it's always an honor and a privilege to be able to minister to the Bride of Christ God is always particular about who stands in front of his bride God is particular what his bride hears. And so it's an honor and a privilege. And I don't say that lightly at all. It is a great honor to be here today with you. And uh, it has been quite a week for all of us. And we're just trusting that the Lord will uh, bless and undertake for each one. Let's just jump right in and let's have, um, uh, let's just have some of these prayer requests uh, today and then we'll uh, have a word of prayer and then we'll just go right into the word this morning. And uh, I appreciate everybody's feedback about the little series that we're doing on marks and seals. And uh, we'll we'll eventually get off it, but uh, for now we're uh, discovering some things that I think are pertinent and uh, lots of people, uh, not only from our assembly, but from outside are are listening and it's a blessing to hear from them as well. But. Let's do a couple of prayer requests this morning. As uh, you know, and I've mentioned over the last couple of services, we have a long list of people that uh, contracted the virus. That's the reason our church is shut down. And uh, we will also remain shut down this coming Wednesday and uh, we'll broadcast as well. But uh, Lord willing, we'll assess next weekend uh, as we get to it. Uh, We wanna welcome Brother Roger Clayville this morning and Brother Roger is listening. He's back home and uh, listening this morning. Roger, God bless you. Great to have you with us uh, again, and trust that the Lord will give you a a speedy recovery. We also are remembering uh, Brother Tom and Sister Kim Ward, and uh, they've had a rough couple of days. Um, We we are very thankful for the people that have uh, ministered to them and brought supplies and so forth, and uh, just trusting that the Lord will give them strength and restore them back to health again. Sister Karen Buchanan uh, tested positive and uh, we're remembering Sister Karen this morning. We also want to remember Brother Keith. Uh, Brother Keith was uh, traveling this week and just had a uh, tough drive back yesterday, made it all the way from the East Coast and got back home. And so we're thankful that he's at home now and resting and recovering. We all, he's going to be tested on Monday. Uh, We also too want to remember Sister Caroline Jackson and uh, she's uh, doing better. Most of the reports that I'm getting now, the people who were really sick last week are doing better. Sister Crystal Johnson reports that she's gonna be going back to work tomorrow. And uh, so we're thankful for that. We had a good turnout last night in our uh, young people's uh, Zoom meeting. And so that was good to see uh, folks there. Sister Rachel Pritchard also uh, let me know this morning that her grandmother who had the hip surgery uh, is doing better and uh, she's going into rehab. So they're gonna try to get her back on her feet as well. Now, um, I wanted to mention my brother, Joe Pascal, and um, we, uh, as I told you, I think in the update yesterday, it's not our business to really try to figure out everything that goes on. It's just our job to only believe and to pray. And we who are strong should pray for those who are weak and going through difficult times. And certainly brother Joe was was in uh, difficult shape this week and was very sick. And uh, they decided to uh, put him on the ventilator, and they did yesterday afternoon. Uh, this morning's report was a positive one. The doctor said that uh, he had slept overnight, or you know, was uh, he sedated, but he had rested well overnight. His uh, body seems to be responding uh, a little better to the uh, strategy that they have in place for him. And uh, she said that uh, Brother Joe, the doctor said that Brother Joe is still a sick man, but she was impressed with how he did last night. So uh, we have cautious optimism. I told Sister Lisa this morning, I said, we'll take any and all good news you give us. And we're thankful for that. So let me encourage you now, even though we have uh, a little bit of good news here this morning, I want to encourage you not to let off praying. Because if prayer got us this far, uh, I'd like us to keep at it and just to remember Brother Joe and Sister Lisa and Joseph. uh, Sister Lisa and Joseph are uh, sick at home. Uh, They're not able to go to the hospital anyway. And uh, we sure want to remember that whole family. And it's certainly been a very difficult week for them. And uh, we want to remember them in prayer and just trust that the Lord will uh, continue to minister to them and their needs. And uh, make them strong again and bring Joe back out of the hospital. That's our prayer. Uh, we don't need to get complicated with it, and we don't need to get, uh, you know, overly uh, investigative even about it. That's not our role. Uh, he's in good hands. I believe that, uh, like I said in the update, uh, and he and I talked about this yesterday that. Uh, He put his life in God's hands a long time ago. It's still there. And so we're just trusting that God's in control of his life. Our days on this earth are numbered. God's got it all in his control. And so the best thing we can do is just only believe and just to trust him into God's hands. So take your need this morning, gather your family around, and let's just go to the Lord in prayer as we begin the service today. Heavenly Father, we are thankful always when we can bow our heads, Lord, and realize we are not in darkness and we are not alone, but we are in your presence. You said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. We believe that's true no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. We believe, Lord, that you have your watchful eye upon your people. And Lord, today in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray that you would just continue to minister and give strength to all those who are in need this morning, especially those who are hurting, those who are sick, those who may have symptoms. Father, we just entrust them into your care. We believe that you are greater than any virus. We ask, Lord, now that you would just undertake in that hospital room for Brother Joe. And Lord, you know his circumstance. You know exactly where he is today. I pray that your angels would just encamp around about him. That, Lord, you would inspire and minister to those doctors and nurses that are making decisions, Lord, about his life. Because we know his life is not in their hands. His life is in your hands. We thank you for the doctors and we thank you for all of our medical people, nurses and those who are involved in the care of others, Lord, and putting themselves at risk. We thank you for that. We thank you for the drugs and the uh, equipment, Lord, that is available to us. But Lord, we just know that you as a great physician, you have a greater level of care. And Lord, you're a miracle working God. And so we're just going to entrust Brother Joe into your hands today and pray that your grace and mercy would surround him. Lord, your healing virtue would flow to him. Lord, he might be forgiven of every sin and everything that would hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit. Lord, yesterday on the phone, he called you his comforter. And Lord, I pray that you would bring comfort to him at this moment. I commit him into your hands now. We look for a good report. And we commit this service today into your hands. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let me um, let me just give a couple of announcements here. And I have a great testimony that I've been saving for today. And I want you just to lock in now and just uh, stay with me here. January 18th, upcoming this week, is Rebecca Ivey's birthday and sister Lily Harwell's birthday. So may God bless both of them uh this week. January twentieth is Sister Laura Harwell's birthday. God bless you, Sister Laura. January twenty second is Sister Grace Johnson's birthday. God bless you, Sister Grace. And then January twenty fourth is Sister Lydia Clabel's birthday. And she is about to become a teenager. So you pray for Julia and Jeremy. Also, Roger Gibbs' birthday as well. We hear from Brother Roger regularly, and uh, may the Lord richly bless you and uh, all of you that are celebrating special birthdays this week. I had several people ask me about tithing uh, again, and uh, I I don't often mention it, but uh, we have our two avenues, of course, while we're not in church, and that is you can get on PayPal uh, and you can hit the donate button on the front of our website. Just go to our website, scroll down. You'll see the donate button there. And that uh, can be marked as tithes and so forth. You can do it that way. And then you can also mail it the old-fashioned way. Just put it in the mailbox, and uh, we'll pick it up from there. And uh, we appreciate that very much. Appreciate your faithfulness. Uh, also, too, this is, uh, this is something that we need to remind you of. Um, if you have your phone or your computer or your iPad, and you're able to send me an amen that really helps. I have my uh, phone right here and I'm able to see everybody who's listening, everybody who's online. Lots of people from outside our assembly want to know well, where's the A- where's the amen button. And uh, there is no amen button. What you need to do is take up your phone or your iPad and text me an amen. And that's how it's done. It is surprisingly difficult to find an amen button in our world today. Uh, I guess tech- technology has other priorities we tried. We cannot find an amen button. So you take out your phone, your iPad, type in the words, the letters A-M-E-N, and hit send, and you've got it. Uh, I appreciate that. So we love to hear from you. It's really great uh, to see the reports and everything else that's coming in. And uh, we just uh, appreciate uh, God's goodness to us. All right, now, so this is a, a testimony. I want everybody to be watching for sure over the next couple of slides here. And uh, this, is, this is really neat. Now, a couple of uh, weeks ago, and I don't remember exactly when, Brother Elias sent us a, a picture and a little video clip of a man who was leading singing in a, a little church in a place called Mapira. And uh, this is in central Tanzania. It's about 200 miles from where Elias lives. And uh, uh, these are a group of people that left the Pentecostal church. And you may remember this pastor, Uh, had somebody from his church Mm -hmm. go to uh, another city where he encountered some believers and they witnessed to him. He came back to the Pentecostal church and uh, told them about the message. And this pastor got Mm -hmm. so excited about what he was hearing, he began to minister the message in his church. He began to talk about a prophet, talk about end time events. And there was a group of people in that church, about 30 of them, who really caught on to this. And, of course, when the hierarchy in the Pentecostal denomination found out, uh, they got pretty upset. They came to monitor and they kicked him out. And so he uh, he left the Pentecostal assemblies and uh, he uh, started his own little group. This is a picture of uh, where they were meeting about two weeks ago. And if you remember in the little video that I showed you, uh, there was um, rain and water on the floor, and uh, this pa- this song leader was singing away, and uh, you know they were uh, rejoicing, but there was water all over the the, the ground. And uh, I, I told Brother Elias afterwards, I said, uh, "Can I send some money and have you patch the roof? Would that be okay?" Now you get a glimpse of this building from the outside right here. Uh, this is this is in Kahama. And uh, this was a a Pentecostal church. You can read what Elias says, and it happened that one of the members heard about the message, talked to his pastor, who got interested, and finally some of them believed and were thrown out. So the, the, the group out of Arusha In sending the missionaries out, they went down to visit this little group and very young in the message, very new, don't have uh, hardly, uh, you know, uh, much uh, uh, knowledge at all, but they, they just had a, they had a real zeal. And so they're meeting in this place, just little bits of tin that are put together and they're in the rainy season. So it was leaking like a basket. So I said to Brother Elias, can I, can I help to repair the roof? He said, nope. He said, you can't do it. If you put more metal sheets on top of that structure, he said, it'll fall over. And he said, uh, there's no way that we can uh, add to it. He said, they'd have to have a new roof altogether. And I said, well, how much is a new roof? And he said, well, he said, the the structure won't support a new roof. They're going to need a new building. And I said, well, how much is a new building? And he said, oh, he said, it would cost about $750. Now. Let's read this. They recently started to make bricks. So this group started to make bricks. You can see them in the background there uh, on the ground. And those are uh, building blocks that they made so they can build a decent church. And they will do it slowly, probably for years. So they were going to hand make their own bricks, and it would take them years to get enough to build a building. Otherwise, he said, they need a temporary building. And he said that one is terribly leaking, and if they put up a good roof, they must start afresh after demolishing the current one. So they will need some wood and iron sheets, and they can't roof it as of now. It's raining heavily here, and they keep shifting from one place to another in the building when it starts pouring. So when it starts raining, they literally just move around inside that little structure to stay away from the, from the downpour. And uh, that's the way they worship. Now they're just on fire. They just they just love the the Lord and love the Word, and uh, they they really don't care. But I I just I felt so bad, and I said to Brother Elias, look, uh, why don't you take the seven hundred and fifty dollars? I said I'll send it, and just go tell them to uh, do what they need to do in order to uh, build a little structure. And so he wrote me back, and he said, okay, uh, he said Monday. Now this is January eleventh. Okay, now you got to watch this this is January 11th on Monday, they went to the uh, Lowe's or Home Depot, I can't tell which one, and they bought the lumber to build a new building. Uh, then Brother Elias said, I was a little short, he said they need money for the iron sheets for the for the roof, and so that was $300, so we gave them, I think it was about $1,100 total, and I said, take the money, here it is, I, we, we sent it to him, and he went and bought the material so this is monday morning uh january 11th and they were uh getting the the lumber from the shop so they already had this little site you can see on the right hand side over here the structure that they were worshiping in you, it's just literally tarps that are stretched over the the little structure there so this is where they were uh this is where they were on uh tuesday morning and they're, they're uh, you know, marking out their corners. I don't know if you can see. There's, uh, they run some lines and string, and they're just, uh, you know, setting up their, uh, setting up their posts and uh, getting things laid out. And that's the lumber that they have on the ground. So they hand built their own trusses and uh, began to put the structure in, in place like this, in the middle of a cornfield. That's where it is. And uh, so this is still on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday uh, they have the roof on and uh, they're starting now to put the purlins on the side and uh, they're getting ready to put some sides on this building. All the brothers, and you can see the sisters out there, gotta hand it to those sisters. They're, uh, they're out there helping to hold those sheets in place and they got uh, the roof on, the sides on. God bless these sisters here, hauling bricks. That's what they're doing. They're putting bricks now on the outside of the foundation to keep the rain from washing through. So they put the bricks on the outside of the building and then they pour dirt inside the building and they tamp it in order to make a floor. So these precious sisters are uh, hauling those big bricks over there and uh, putting them in place. This is Thursday. They have all the walls on. They have uh, that brother is hanging a door right there, and uh, the sisters are tamping and uh, they're getting everything in place. And and you can see, you know, I don't know if you can see in the back here, is a little pile of dirt. And they're spreading that out, and they're putting their uh, b- b- uh, bricks in place on the right-hand side. You can see in the bottom here there's no light. On this end right here there's light. So what they do is they put those bricks outside, and it keeps everything from washing out and rain from washing in. And so uh, at the end of the story is uh, this, that uh, Friday afternoon they're inside their church, and they're holding a dedication So from Monday the 11th to January 15th, here's the group. Here's part of them, not all of them. And they're outside their church there, and they're about ready to go in because they're going to have a dedication uh, in their service in this new building. They're excited about this. And uh, the pastor was ministering to the group there and dedicating the building to the glory of God. I think that's pretty good. Uh, For them to be able to uh, buy the lumber Monday morning and have the church in place uh, and have a dedication on Friday evening. That's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive that they did it for about $1,100. I think they're going to continue to make bricks and they'll eventually put a more permanent structure there and probably use this for the fellowship hall, I guess, and have church dinners there. But uh, let me tell you, those people are very, very thankful, and they're very appreciative of the funds and the resources that they're given uh, in order to hold their, their service there. And, you know, they don't have to move their chairs around now to stay dry. Uh, they're just excited. So, uh, to me, that uh, just made my heart jump. And I've got about 50 more pictures of the construction and the group there. And uh, I just wanted to, you know, kind of minimize it a little bit for today to tell you the testimony, as I was really excited about this. We're going to put all of these pictures up. On the website and the, our social media feeds, so that uh, you can see that Sister Sarah diligently does that for us, and uh, we're going to have all those pictures up there. But I'll tell you that that this has made my heart uh, rejoice this week. In the middle of all the bad news we have, and to see them rejoicing over a, you know just a little simple building like that, and now they're in there holding services. Imagine how the the neighbors must uh, you know look at this and and think, wow, you know uh, th- this would ordinarily take years. For them to accumulate the materials to build this, and they get it done in five days, and they're holding service there. Uh, I just think that's a, a real, real blessing, and uh, I, I share that because you're all a part of that. You know that uh, this is, um, you know, I'm the one who's uh, given the go-ahead here, but uh, the resources that I have are monies that you give, and I, I just want to say I appreciate that, and I don't appreciate it near as much as they appreciate it. And when you get into glory, you're going to meet some of these people and they're going to shake your hand pretty good and uh, you say buona wabariki and, and uh, you know, just wish God's blessing upon you. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is just really exciting, and uh, Brother Elias is uh, very thankful as well for the support that goes to these missionaries. So you got to remember this group is very new, so they depend on these missionaries to go out there and uh, be able to minister. Now they, they're able to get Bibles, now they're able to get books, and uh, we're doing six more new books for the people who speak Swahili. So mm-hmm. it's it's just really exciting. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I thank you for your uh, generosity there and giving that. But that, to me, that's just a great, great testimony. And uh, may the Lord bless them richly. All right. Let's turn to the word this morning. And uh, got a lot of things here that uh, I, I wanted to share. Uh, Brother Anwar is listening this morning, and he just texted me that, you know, that's a great testimony. Uh, they 're not that fast in pakistan they 're fast but they 're not that fast and uh, uh, it 's just uh, great to see that so uh, we're we 're glad to have Brother Anwar back safe and sound and uh, I know he's his heart is probably anxious to even get back again over to Pakistan matthew chapter thirteen let 's read there this morning and uh, i 'm going to try to take note of my start time here and uh let's turn to matthew chapter 13 i want you to open your bible and leave it there in matthew 13 we're going to look at a couple of passages there there are eight parables of the kingdom of god here and uh how it how it was planted jesus is illustrating this how it grew uh how the trouble came over the the you know the subsequent two thousand years of growth in the in the gentile church um there are many, many lessons here, but there's eight specific parables, and Jesus gives us an understanding, especially of the, the parable that we're going to read uh, later on, and then Brother Branham comes along and adds a commentary to Jesus' uh, interpretation here. So it's really great. We have a, a clear understanding of this, and uh, as I said before many times, you don't realize uh, we we really, truly don't appreciate how great it is to have a clear understanding of things in our day. Uh, let me tell you, if you if you begin to research, and I would not encourage it, but if you research where other ministers are taking their people in terms of understanding the Book of Revelation and the end time events like the marks and seals we're talking about, and I'm not saying they're not sincere, and I'm not saying they're purposely being false or anything like that, but they're taking the people all over the all over the map, and for to have a clear understanding of these things is truly a great blessing and so we're thankful for a messenger in this last day. Matthew 13 verse 1, the same day when Jesus went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And the great multitude were gathered, multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. This would be on the shores of the uh, Sea of Galilee, and it's a great fertile area. It's the breadbasket of Israel. And so this would have been very common for Jesus to say, Look at this man over here on the hill. He's sowing, and uh, he's got his field plowed, and now he's putting his seed in there. And Jesus said, That gives us an opportunity to uh, discuss something great. Now, I'm going to come back to Matthew 13 again, but let me preamble a little bit. As you know, I like to do. And uh, Brother Branham makes this statement here. He says, and this is just my, my little admonition for you this morning. In The God of This Evil Age, he says, The world seems to be in the most evil age that ever was. Has God lost control, or is he just permitting another agency to control? I wonder. You get the feeling sometimes that God's lost control, that everything is spinning relentlessly out of control. And he says the true answer to this question is to my opinion, now his opinion matters here. There is two opposing spirits in the world at work, and now there can't be no more than two, two heads. One of them is the Holy Spirit at work, the other one is the spirit of the devil in this and in this last days in deception. So there are only two spirits at work here, and one of them is the Holy Spirit the other one is the devil working in deception so one of them becomes clear and one of them is shrouded in obscurity and there's all kinds of smoke screens there's all kinds of diversions there's all kinds of anti-truth messages that are out there and so brother random said this is what it's come down to and of course this fulfills prophecy let me tell you something let me simplify it we had to remember something very basic that God is in the center of it all. He knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what's going on. You need to know your position. And what should we say, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, if God be for us, who can be against us? There's really not a whole lot more you need to know. That God is present. We are right here where we need to be, in the center of God's will, walking in the light. And if God be for you, who can be against you? You will make it. Your name is on the book. God put it there. Nothing can take it off. Satan can't take it off. Your neighbors can't take it off. You can't take it off. It's there. And so we should be thankful for that, and we should uh, refer back to the simplicity of the gospel during the times when things get really hectic. I found this quotation last night. I sent it out to a bunch of ministers in 1957. Brother Branham, and he was talking about the coming of the Lord, the second coming. This is what he wrote. To my... Most sincere thoughts, we're living in the very shadows of his second coming. And to my way of seeing it, by the light of Scripture, there's not one hope left for the church outside of the second coming of the Lord. The world, in its wild, pandemonic conditions, has got completely out of control. Now remember, he's talking in 1957. Every man-made organization in the world. Kings cannot hold their subjects no more. Neither can dictators hold their subjects anymore. Democracy can't hold its subjects anymore. There is no hope left but the second coming of the Lord Jesus. To me, it's very important for us to understand what he's, what he's not saying. He's not saying that we, we should go out there to reform the world. The day of reformation is over. The day of reforming our society and our world and our governments is over. The the, the, the key now is, is to leave this earth before the judgment cycle fully kicks in. And so the only hope we have is the second coming of Christ. And nothing is capable of holding the people because those demons have crossed the river Euphrates, and there's a force that's moving this world toward tribulation, even though they don't even know where they're going. They don't even know where this force is moving them. They're moving towards tribulation, and tribulation will be inescapable. For the Bride of Christ, it's a completely different force. It's a stronger force than the force that's moving the world, and it's moving us into another dimension so that you can find your seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a completely different direction, a completely different force at work, and it is moving God's people in the right direction. And Brother Branham said there's nothing that's capable, there's no force, there's no individual personality, even democracy itself is not able to hold its subjects anymore and we're witnessing that over and over again let me drop this in and i mentioned this last night in the uh bible study that we did with the young people in my sunday school class and i just want to refer to this again there was an article in the atlantic magazine and i I didn't have it to put it online here but i um i'll just show you the picture here and uh they were talking about uh the, the the title of the article is called a christian insurrection and they used a picture of a man with a cross out there at the uh, the riots that took place at the Capitol this past week, and they they made a, a, a connection. Uh, the the article is very is not long. It's very clear. They made a connection, and they said that white evangelical Christians support Trump. Period. Trump is bad. Period. Therefore evangelicalism, or Christianity like this, is bad. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. And this is what the article basically says, is that it isn't just you know extremists here, but basically this is fundamental Christianity. People who carry a cross believe in the cross. And so therefore, you know what? All of this, in a sense, is kind of tarred with the same brush. It's kind of unnerving to read an article on like that. Then I get up this morning and I look in the Washington Post. The Washington Post has a different article altogether. It's not this title, not the author, but they're using the same picture at the beginning of their article. And they're they're saying essentially the same thing that this is not just a political movement, but rather this is in a sense A fruit of Christian belief this is what Bible believers and specifically in the Washington Post they said this is what end time believers believe they said this is what people who believe in the end of the world talk about and so you can see easily I mean when you begin to put this together you can see how this thing is narrowing and how it's squeezing down It's not gonna be as comfortable or as easy probably to worship in public uh, uh, or to be able to publish books or to be able to do outreach like we do now. Uh, It's probably gonna become a narrower path all the way down through. But I'm just telling you that there are forces in the world that are moving and the forces in this cosmos are not moving the bride in in a good direction. They would like to do, Satan would like to do whatever he could to sift you like wheat. And I will tell you that these forces are very strong Democracy is not able to resist it. Kings and dictators and monarchs not able to resist those forces. They're extremely, they're the powers of hell that are being unleashed on the earth. And remember now, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You got to remember those scriptures and you got to realize that uh, Satan cannot, he, he can entrap you. He can uh, you know, he can limit your movements and all the other things here as we, we've all experienced over the last year, but he cannot take away eternal life. He cannot alter the fact that you're a child of God. And so the thing for you to do is make sure that, uh, you make your calling an election. Sure. You got to be positive moving into the cycle we're moving into. And, uh, it's it's kind of a sobering thing, but it's a real thing. All right. And this is what the whole point of this Marks and Seals is about, is for us to uh, see how God separates and God distinguishes between groups. Now, uh, <clears throat> Matthew 24, Jesus says, many false prophets shall rise and deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. My goodness, how much more real is these verses now even than when Jesus said it, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now take a note at verse fourteen here. It's not it's it's not world wars that will cause the end to come. It's it's not uh, you know the the breakdown of government that will cause the world to end. It's not viruses or pandemics that will cause the world to end. Jesus is going to shut it down. When the gospel of the kingdom is preached to all the world, all nations, and then shall the end come. So to me, it's not uh, some kind of a political climax that we're waiting for. I believe that God is waiting for us to make sure that the message gets out to the rest of the world. Everybody in their own language can hear it, read it, understand it, have access to it, whether on a computer or in a book, and then shall the end come. So to me, our commission is very clear is to be a witness in this age that we're living in. Now, I read you this quote last Sunday, the fourth seal is a very important message. Uh, Brother Ram said to watch his four-point scheme, and I kind of rearranged this paragraph just so you could see uh, the four components of Satan's plan here. White horse rider, uh, kills by the spirit. Red horse uh, is uh, killing by the sword and political power, and the church and state unite, and the black horse and uh, ties up the finances of the world and so forth, and uh, causes, uh, you know, craft to uh, prosper in the way that he does. And then the fourth horse, which is a combination of all three of those horses there, it has death marked on it, and it refers to an eternal separation from God. So we know his plan. Then we know that God also had a, uh, the, uh, the creatures that came out against the program of Satan, and we've talked about that. Let me review again the seal of God, and here's Brother Bannerman, the fourth seal, and I'm reading the second paragraph here. I got the top paragraph grayed out. But when he, the person, the immortal spirit of Christ, becomes your personal savior and changes you, throws your views straight into Calvary to this word, something's happened. Satan will throw you right into the world. The Holy Spirit will throw you right into the word. Something's happened. No one will have to tell you about it. You'll know it when it happens. That is, in a sense, a simple definition of the seal of God. It's the personal Savior, Jesus Christ, alive in you, living his own life out. Mark of the beast is the opposite. The mark of the beast is is to reject the Holy Spirit. There's only two classes of people. There's only two classes of people, and the the mark of the beast comes because somebody's rejected uh, the message of Christ. All right, back to Matthew 13. Let's take a look here. And uh, I want you to keep in mind this idea of separation in the harvest time, the harvest cycle. Now, let's take a look here, if you don't mind. This is uh, uh, just a great set of parables here. Matthew 13, verse 24. And another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But when he slept, his enemies came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So what was not obvious mm-hmm. becomes obvious only in the harvest cycle. That's when it all comes out. That's when the true identity of the seed is known. We don't know what he sowed back here, but we do know in the end time because the fruits are there. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, dost thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence come tares? This is, this is we can see this. And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. And the servant said, Well, uh, shall we? Will we then go and and uh, gather them up? But he said, Nay. Whilst ye gather up the tares, ye would root up the wheat also with them. And so let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Now remember, this is a season. This is not a day. This is a season now, where the where the uh, the the plant the seeds that were sown are becoming obvious. And so Jesus prolongs it. He says, the, the master of the field looked at it and said, no, let it go, because now, you're, now this thing is so intertwined here that we're never going to get to the maturity of the real wheat, what I've sown. So hold on to the end. In the end, that group will be able to handle the disruption of the harvest. They will be mature enough to be able to survive through the harvest cycle that's going to tear everything apart. And in that cycle, he says, you gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them and gather the wheat into my barn. So there will be an outgathering and an in-gathering. Everyone's going to be affected by this. It's not just the unbelievers and the evil. Everyone's going to be affected by this because there's a, everyone is gathered out of the field of the earth. Okay? So the uh, evil are gathered and in a sense they're bundled for uh, the tribulation. We put it in our message terms, and then uh, we can say that the, uh, the elect or the precious fruit that God is looking for, the husbandman's looking for, they're gathered in another place into the kingdom uh, to be there for the marriage supper, and then the gospel goes back to Israel. So th- this is, a, uh, this is a, a cycle where everything on the earth is going to be affected. This is the order of the harvest. And it's not to happen prior to the end time. Mm-hmm. But in the end time, everything is going to be made manifest. Everything is going to come to pass here uh, in this particular cycle. Now, we know as Jesus begins to define these terms, and in verse 36, then sent Jesus unto the multitude, and it went into his house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of, of the tares of the field. We want, to, we want to really understand this. And they were not afraid to ask Jesus. You remember over in the book of James. Now, James probably would have been here in the house when Jesus sat down and explained this parable. So over in the book of James, James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. And so this is exactly what they did here. They're asking Jesus. It's okay to ask. It's okay to ask the right questions. It's okay not to know everything that's going on here because God always has an answer. The answers don't always come when we want them, but the answers do come. Jesus begins to explain, and he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the word, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. That anti-Christ is there to sow the wrong thing in the earth, and he has. Let me tell you something. He is not only against Christ. He's an anti-Christ. He's also anti-Bible. He is anti-peace. He is anti-health. He is anti-truth. He is anti-love. He's anti-everything that God stands for. And so that's his nature. And when you find something or you encounter something that's anti-word, then you know someone's trying to sow the wrong thing into your thinking. So, you know, uh, I mean, what, you could apply this in lots of different areas. You know, somebody says, well, uh, you know, I made lots of money, and when I uh, go to pay tithes, I'm just a little bit nervous about writing such a big tithe check. Now, I don't mind writing tithes if I have only little income because it's easier to write a check for $10 if you only made 100. But if you made a million and you had to write a check for 100,000, you'd be thinking, whoa, that's a lot of money. Well, hello, proportionally, it's no different than when you wrote a check for $10. What you've got is someone trying to sow the wrong thinking into your mind. Mm-hmm. you could say, uh, you know, well, Uh, This boy uh, really loves me. If you're a girl, this boy really loves me. And uh, it's okay if he hugs me and kisses me and so forth. And after all, we'll probably be married because we love each other so much. What you got is somebody sowing the wrong thinking into your mind. That's not how believers conduct themselves in a budding relationship. And so uh, everything that is contrary to the scripture is sown by somebody. And where that seed comes from is what's critical in your life. Let's go a little bit further here and look at this principle of, of the harvest cycle. Now, as we, um, as we mentioned here, this seed that God has sown into the earth, the good seed of the children of the kingdom, uh, these have been prepared from before the foundation of the world. We've read Ephesians many times, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Remember, we were in the thoughts of God planted in the earth harvested at the end time, brought into the kingdom in glory uh, at the end of the cycle of the Gentile world, and uh, live forever in a body. So, therefore, God knew you before the foundation of the world. You were a thought and attribute expressed in the earth. God made a body like this, and he has a body prepared over there. This one's going to go down. That one's going to ascend. You're going to meet that body, and you'll be in that one forever. God had all of this planned from before the foundation of the world. Those are the elect of God, and those are those with the seal of God. Now, here's the little principle that you want to hold in your mind here in relation to this, because some people bristle at this. There's a great uh, movement in the earth, and this is this is a uh, it's not a movement necessarily. It is a, a worldview. It's a thought process that we're all we all should be unified. We all should be together. Toleration tolerating our differences it's interesting that uh, that spirit will tolerate everything you can be gay and you can be muslim and you can be anything at all in the world but as soon as you come along and say you're a christian that's not tolerated so easily this whole idea this whole article here demonstrates that that you know if if these were people from some other uh, eastern religion or if they were you know some other sort of uh, cult or group that would never be in the headlines. That would never be the, the front page uh, picture that we have. It, it's it's as soon as you move into that realm, let me tell you something. Uh, we're not so tolerant anymore. And I'm not saying we, but, you know, the world is not so tolerant anymore. When you as a Christian want to stand up for your beliefs and you say homosexual homosexuality is described in the Bible and it's an abomination to God, hey, that's not tolerated so well. But when somebody tries to impose their view of L-B-G-T-Q-R-S-T-U-V rights on you, then you're supposed to tolerate that. You're not supposed to rebel against that at all. Otherwise, you're considered a bigot or a prejudiced or racist or whatever else. It's not an equal playing field, folks. It is a spirit that is trying to pull people together. Here's what a prophet taught us. God said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas. That's right for the work. Separate. God is a separator. Say it with me. God is a separator. I didn't hear you. I'm just going to go by faith that you said it with me. He's not a mixer. The church wants a mixer today, but God is a separator. And we find examples of that in the scripture all the way down through that God separates his people. Matthew chapter 22, you remember when Jesus describes the wedding supper and he says to his servants go out and one man says well I bought a field I can't go another one says I bought a team of oxen I have to prove them and so he said go on on to the highways and the hedges and find whoever you can and bring them in and the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found both bad and good I'm thankful for that and the wedding was furnished with guests and when the king came in to see the guests he saw there was a man which had not a wedding garment on now, if you take the current spirit of tolerance, you would say, well, hey, you know what, you're, you're, uh, you're one of us anyway, so you can stay. But this is how Jesus tells the parable. He saith unto him, friend, how comest in thou hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into the outer darkness, and where there shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Watch what Brother Branham says. Brethren, there's no big and no little you then when you come by the way of the door. He's talking about coming into the kingdom of heaven now. And then he found a man. Brother Branham's commenting on this parable I just read you there. He found a man back there that didn't have a wedding garment on. And he come in some other way besides the door. And Jesus said, friend, what are you doing here? And he was speechless. And you, listen to what he says now and you try to climb up your own moral stepladder, or by some creed or church, brother, you're going to find yourself the same way. Every man that comes by the door is going to get the same robe, and that robe is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Every man pays the same price. Every one of you should be sending an amen on that one. You cannot climb up on your own moral stepladder and say, I've got an edge on God, or I've got an advantage with God, or I'm super spiritual and God speaks to me, or, uh, you know, I, I'm, I've i been in the church longer, or I'm a great minister, or there's none of that in the kingdom of God. That is the influence of man. Let me tell you, there's none of that in the kingdom of God. So don't climb up in your moral stepladder and say, I'm holier than thou. I'm more righteous than you are. You're no different than the man who stood in the front of the temple and said, Lord, you know, bless me, I've paid tithes on all that I own, and I'm I'm much better than this publican back here in the back of the church. Let me tell you, Jesus said that man who in the back of the church who just said, oh, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Let me tell you, he said that man was favored in the eyes of God more than this man filled with pride up here in the front. That robe is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Every man pays the same price. Get down off your moral stepladder. Get down off your church reputation. Get down off your knowledge of of the message and uh, your your so-called intellectualism and trying to be pedantic about everything that goes on and find yourself coming through the door with everybody else. Every man comes by the door, gets the same robe. No one's going to be there faster. It's not because I follow Joseph or uh, I'm in this church over here or I've got a bigger church than you have. None of that matters in the kingdom of heaven. None of that counts at all. The only thing that counts is that you've got the right, you're dressed right, you have the right robe, which is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You've got the token applied. Everybody pays the same price. God's a separator. We go back in the Old Testament, Exodus, Exodus 32. Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who's on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together uh, unto him. Dathan and Kor are over here. And they've got, uh, they've got their saying, well, are you the only one that God speaks to? Are you the only one that's got, uh, you know, some exception with God here? Uh, God speaks to me as well. I had a dream. I had a vision. I had a thought uh, and so on. And God, Moses simply said, who's on the Lord's side? Because you know what? He knew God's a separator. He knew that God's a divider. God does not lump everybody together and say, Oh, listen, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe, doesn't matter how you dress, doesn't matter whether you believe in holiness, doesn't matter, you know, uh, what church you go to at all. Hey, to God, it matters who you associate with, how you conduct yourself. All of those things matter to God. And so he just simply, Moses said, who's on the Lord's side? Come on over to this side. And all the Levites, said, gathered themselves over on the Moses here. And for the rest of the people, the earth opened up and swallowed them all, husbands, wives, children, all their goods, everything else went down the tubes. Now, look, uh, I don't know who's listening today, but I, I just want to say this. that uh, I mean, this is, a pretty, this is a pretty strict statement here, souls that are in prison now, which is a sh- pretty straight sermon. Watch what he says. The Bible said that he called the people out and saved them out of Egypt. He destroyed them because they didn't follow the message. Now, let me say something here. And I think we got to qualify this because, again, I don't know who's listening, and I don't want to offend anybody, but I want to explain this, that the message is not a movement or a, like a, a denomination. The, the message is, is not, and we should not refer to it as that way. The message is, to me, the word that God sent through a prophet in this last day. It's exactly what happened in the days of Moses when Moses called him out. God sent him a word because the word of the Lord comes to a prophet. It doesn't come to a church. It comes to a prophet. And in order to have deliverance in the first exodus, they had to follow the instructions of what that prophet said. And the words that came out of that prophet's mouth were the message. The message is not a group of churches. The message is not everybody on the same WhatsApp. The message is not everybody you know uh, cookie cuttered out here and dressing the same way. That's not it folks, or everybody playing the same tape all over the world. That's not the message. The message is what God said through his channel in this hour. It is not a it is not a, a an organization. It is not something we build a fence around. It is the free flowing word of God that came to a prophet in this last day which points us to Christ. It doesn't point us to a movement. It doesn't point us to a statue. It doesn't point us to some building. It doesn't point us to anything else but to Christ. And if the message you've got points you to somebody else or some other organization or some group or some building or something like that, let me tell you, you've been pointed in the wrong direction. You need to be, to me today, you need to be facing Christ. You need to be looking at him and him alone in this hour. And that may be straight, but I will tell you what, uh God God is the separator, and he's looking for people that believe mm-hmm. what the message teaches. And the message teaches that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. They eat manna out of heaven. They stood in the presence of the messenger, seen the pillar of fire, heard the voice, uh mm-hmm. heard the voice of God, mm-hmm. seen it confirmed. And then because they wanted to believe Korah, easier to believe Korah because he's taking them back to the familiar. And they said, well, all people are holy and so on. God said, separate yourself from that. That's not where we're going to. The message is that we're going back to the land that I promised Father Abraham years ago. That's where this message is bringing us to our promised land. Our promised land is not back in some uh, denomination or some back in some movement here or some other church age. I believe we've moved out of that. I believe that we are moving to the kingdom and we're in the breach between this dimension and that dimension. We're moving now from earth to glory. I believe that we are on our way. And God said, separate yourself. Anybody that says we're going to go back He says, separate yourself from them, and I'll deal with them. You don't need to judge them. I'll deal with them. You just keep moving forward in the direction the pillar of fire is taking you, and that's what's important. I hope you're getting the message here that God's a separator. In the end time, this is what we've got. We've got a separation between two things. That is the mark of the beast and the seal of God. I'm a graphic person. I like to look at it. Follow me here Mm -hmm. on this diagram, and I just put this together here for you to look at it. The mark of the beast would encompass everything on the screen. All of the all of the area of the screen on the right hand side on my right hand side anyway we're moving to one of three things you're moving to either the marriage supper the tribulation or the ministry of Moses and Elijah in revelation eleven you're only moving towards one of those three things there is not not any other option if you're a member of the bride of Christ you're going to go to one place if you're if you're an unbeliever you're going to wind up in the tribulation and you know what There's no escape from either one of these three. Thank God there's no escape uh, from the marriage supper. And if you're a Jew, the right place to be is in Israel when those two prophets show up. Outside of the Bride of Christ, the mark of the beast becomes manifest. The image of the beast is manifest in this country. You have the church system. You have the, the cosmos. Everything else now is marked by its unbelief of the message that God sent. You have a bride whose commission is clear. Revelation 10, 8 to 11. Everybody remembers that. I don't need to go to it. Where John takes the book and eats the book. 8 comes after 7. Verse 7 talks about a prophet. The angel, the voice of the, the angel of the last day, the seventh angel. When he shall begin the sound, the mystery of God shall be finished as he has declared unto his servants the prophets. That's not us. We follow after that in 8, 9, 10, and 11 where John, who's our type, takes the book, eats the book, prophesies again. We are fulfilling, I believe this, we are fulfilling, and our commission is clear to fulfill that part of the book of Revelation chapter 10. Take your Bible for a minute, go back to Joshua chapter 11. I've got that little notation there. Read this with me. I was speaking with another minister this week, and we were discussing this verse. All we talked about was this verse here. Because it's such a great verse. And I want you to look at it with me here. Joshua chapter 11, verse 15. Let me preamble just a little bit. This is Joshua placing inside Canaan everyone where they're supposed to be. This is the adoption of the children of Israel in the promised land now you be over here, you be over here. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, had heard these things that sent out to uh, Jobab of Maiden. Wow, what great names. And to the king of Shimon, Shimron, to the king of Asikar. What? I mean, you got to wonder what the mothers were thinking about when they named these sons. And all of these places here, are the territory now of the children of Israel. They're being placed in the land here by Joshua because that's his commission. And it goes on and describes about how God delivered Israel here and there and placed them in there. Now watch what verse 15 says. And as the Lord commanded Moses his servant, so did Moses command Joshua, and so did Joshua. He left nothing undone, of all that the Lord commanded Moses. So Joshua picks up where Moses, under his commission, was given the, the ministry of taking the people out of Egypt and bringing them to the promised land as promised to Father Abraham. So Moses goes off the scene. Guess what? Joshua raises up, and he left nothing undone of what the Lord commanded Moses. So it's not a new commission that Moses has, and neither is it a new message that God gives the bride. But God gave a message in this last day, and here's Brother Brandon bringing that message, and then God takes him off the scene. The message didn't stop there in 1965 in December, but now we have a bride that's taking that message all over to the world, prophesying before nations and kings and you know all of the languages and everything else. And that's what the message is supposed to do. It's supposed to go to all the world because... Revelation 10, 8 to 11 says that John takes the book, prophesies again. This is not another message. This is not a new messenger raising up. This is not some new prophet. But Joshua fulfilled the commandment that was given to Moses. Wow! My phone should be ringing off the ringing off the hook here. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> when people start to build something new and different, when they start to twist away from what the original commission is, we've got a problem. God appointed, God ordained a job for Moses to do. And Joshua, in the complete fulfillment of that, because remember now, it wasn't fulfilled for them just to come to the river of Jordan. It was not fulfilled because they, uh, you know, they, they, they saw Jericho fall down. It was fulfilled only when they were in the land of their birthright, the land of their inheritance. That's, they had to actually put their feet on that soil, and then the commission was complete. Let me tell you something. In this Exodus, it's only over when we take our seats around the table on the other side. It's not good enough for us to come through the squeeze in the tribulation. It's not good enough for us even to have our, uh, you know, to, to realize we're in the rapture cycle. It ain't over until we sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's what what we are to do, is to encourage the bride, minister to the bride, preach to the bride, witness to the bride, witness to the world, bring the message to the world, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's the job that we have to do. And it's not over until it's over, and it'll be over when we're sitting at the table looking at each other across the other side. Glory to God. I feel like preaching. I don't have a soul near me. I don't have anyone here near me, but I feel like preaching because it's not, uh, it's not just preaching. Now, let me say, say this in this graphic here, Israel is an outlier. Okay. And that's why they're in the star on the side over here, because Israel is treated differently than, uh, the rest of the world. They're not under the mark of the beast, uh, like the rest of the cosmos and the churches. Israel is reserved and they're grafted back in again. And, uh, all the world is caught up in a sense in this graphic here. you're either one or the other. Now I do the, I, I, I scribble this when I when I'm studying because I want to try to make sure I got everything placed right and I got I got the uh, you know the, all the elements in here. We have an image of the beast. we have the beast. We have the powers that be in the world moving under without even knowing it, moving under the mark of the beast. And all the influences that come with it. You have a bride who's sealed by God, known before the foundation of the world, and then moving into the kingdom of God, and has a commission to fulfill everything that God said about our time. And we're going to one or the other. Marriage, supper, tribulation, or Revelation 11, one or the other. I, I just, I, I, that helps me. I, don't know, I hope it helps you, but that helps me to be able to kind of visualize what we're doing. And you cannot say that God's not a separator. God is. That's why we don't mix and say, well, you know what? It's okay if I go to a, uh, an Anglican church and, and uh, you know, worship there. Or it's okay if I go to a, a Pentecostal church. Or it's okay if I believe that I can be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Or it's okay if, uh, you know, a woman says, well, I can cut my hair. Or uh, speaking in tongues means I got the Holy Ghost. That's what they teach in our church. And listen, uh, it does matter. And... Uh, God has separated us because God's a separator. In the same way that he didn't want to leave Dathan and Korah in among the children of Israel and leave their influence there and leave their preaching there. God didn't want to have that because he's jealous about who stands in front of his people. He took care of that. He dealt with that. And in the last day, let me tell you, this is how God's taken care of it. He seals that bride, moves her into a heavenly place in Christ Jesus until our bodies are changed and then we're gone. To me, I hope, I hope that makes sense because that, that kind of makes sense to me and I, I hope it makes sense to you. Uh, that's, that's the way I see it. That's the way I believe it. And I, I, I trust that it will uh, just be embedded in your hearts. And remember, the whole thing is contingent upon your presence here because the moment your presence is gone, the moment, moment you're gone, the moment you're no longer present, we'll say it that way. Let me tell you something. Israel moves into a new position the world moves into a new position. Or let's say it this way, the world will arrive at their new destination. And the bride will arrive in hers. It all is contingent upon the fact that you're still here. And when you're taken out of the way, it'll be gone. Now watch this quote here, 10 virgins and 144,000 is the Revelation series. The image of the beast, Protestant denomination, not the Catholic. He doesn't say the beast now. He says the image of the beast, the Protestant denomination, the whole system, not the Catholics. This is America he's speaking of here because this 13th chapter is on the American, the beast that comes up out of the earth, See, all the other beasts come up out of water, which means thickness and multitudes of people. But the beast here comes up like a lamb out of the ground where there was no people, America, North America, and had two horns and spake like a dragon. I thought this was interesting. And they made an image of the beast that was in Europe and made this over here an image to it. So the seed of the beast will not be here. It'll be in Europe. And they made this over here in America an image to what really exists over there. So it's not in China. It's not in Russia. It's not in Africa. It's not in Israel. The beast or the seed of the beast is in Europe. I'd say it's in Italy. The prophecy states there would be an image to that over here which would exercise all the power of the first beast watch what brother Branham describes here now he says it would be uniting the churches together and making this protestant fellowship and then they forced all the other churches that they couldn't even buy or sell or anything else without they get this image for the beast wow I, I mean that's that's a that's a sobering thing. That's quite a uh, summary statement. Uh, mm-hmm. That's just amazing that Brother Branham is so clear for us here. I hope you're I hope you're enjoying this. I hope it's 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 okay. Remember now Romans chapter eight. I'm not going to be much longer here now. Remember now Romans eight, and I'm I'm dropping these promises in here because I want to refer to this in a, in a moment. For whom he did foreknow. Mm-hmm. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So remember now, there's an antichrist system that is creating an image. You've been conformed to the image of his son by predestination. That's the son of God, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate them, he also called them. He called, he justified whom he justified. He's also glorified. So you can see that God separated this group and their They're predestinated for glory. They're predestinated for glorification. They're predestinated and justified as though they never sinned in the first place. So they're moving through their time and their season, whether it's the dark ages or the last ages. They're moving through their time, and they come through it not only justified but glorified as well. In other words, there's nothing that prevents them from making that final step into glory, into that glorified body that God's got prepared for them. I mean, that's to me, that's powerful. That is a powerful verse of Scripture. Church in the last days is going to be twins, so close that it'll deceive the very elect. Two fathers, same mother, same church, same movement. Two fathers, same mother. What was the problem in the Garden of Eden? Two fathers, same mother. What's always been the problem? Two fathers, same mother. What does Satan attack? Satan does not attack the Communist Party and try to sow his doctrine there. This is a church we're talking about. These are people who carry the Bible. These are people who associate with the cross. These are people who sing Amazing Grace just like you do. The bedding ground is the same where the word falls. But one of them, like here, is perverted because it's the wrong father. Where the seed originates from determines the harvest. Jesus said, <laughs> there's a field. It's got a bunch of seeds in there from two different sources. They're unidentifiable until they come near maturity. When they're near maturity now, we got a problem. That's why Brother Random said, see all the Methodists, Baptists, and, you know, he said the Presbyterians, going for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We, we got something obvious going on here, but it's not the same. Jesus said, leave it alone. In the end, I'm going to affect the whole field. Everything's going to be torn up. Everything's going to be upside down. Everything's going to be shaken out in the end of it. But leave it alone until that cycle of the harvest and the order of the harvest that I've described here. Leave it alone. And we're going to find out, we're going to find out which seed you are of. Because there's only two. In the parable in Matthew 13, there was two that went through. The first one was the sowing the good seed. And the second one came through with the bad seed. There's only two seeds in the field. God's intent in the last day is to separate the two because you know why? God's a separator. I will prove someday, if God let me, that the denomination is the mark of the beast. It's the wrong father. He's sitting. He's sorry. He's stirring the people to an organization instead of to the Word. It's the wrong father. It's a Cain move. Glory to God. I, I mean, I, I, I love this. It's a it's a wrong father. You got you got one mother, two fathers. You got one mother two seeds, one womb, two seeds. You have someone, the, the result of one seed is that it's stirring people away from the Bible. You got another seed that's stirring people back into the word of God and it's moving them towards the kingdom. But you got a wrong father over here and you got a Cain move. So uh, just remind yourself again of where Cain took out his vengeance, mm-hmm. where Cain took out his anger, where Cain took out, uh, you know, that violent spirit came out. And where did he direct it towards? But towards Abel. The wrong seed, the wrong seed is going to attack the right seed. So you have a stirring going on here. And this is what a harvest cycle is. It's a stirring in the field. Now we're not letting it alone. Now we're not letting it just sit there. Now we're not just letting it, you know, ripen. Now we're in there to stir it all up here. And we're going to, we're going to uh, work our way through the field and we're going to winnow this thing. We're going to, we're going to send our big machines in there. And we're going to separate this thing. And these machines are able to separate the good from the bad. And the bad gets spewed out and pile up for the burning and uh, for fodder. And the rest of it gets put in the father's garner. That's exactly what's going on. That's exactly what you're, what you're living in. And sometimes that's why you, you look around and you say, hey, it's an upheaval for all of us. yes. Because it's supposed to be, this is the order of the harvest. The order of the harvest uh, allows you to make sense out of the times we live in because they're not meant to be even for us and an upheaval for everybody else. The upheaval comes in the order of the harvest when God takes everything out of the field and everything is stirred and everything is disturbed and everything is rooted up and everything is on the move. You're on the move either to the Father's uh, barn, or you're on the move over here to a pile. That's getting ready to enter into the tribulation. Everybody's on the move. Everybody's being sifted. Everything is being uprooted here. Get ready. Put on your seatbelt, because it's not going to be stagnant anymore. It's not going to be just sitting in the field anymore. It's going to be a moving time for the people of God, but it's a moving time for the world as well, and it's a confusing time when everything moves in that way. Now, <laughs> folks i I, I just uh, I've got I've got dozens of screens here after all of this but let me let me tell you something and and I, I just I'm just gonna have to find a place to stop here I appreciate your amens'm I'm, but I'm just gonna have to find a place to stop here Hosea Joel Ezekiel all prophesying about the last days and we find there, Uh, their prophecies are very pertinent to us in this last day. I mentioned this, I think, last Sunday. Come, let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us, and in the third day he'll raise us up. We shall live in his sight. Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. That God will come to his people. God will make himself known to his people. And God will deal with his people effectively and thoroughly. And that's why the question is asked and the pattern is laid down. Who's on the Lord's side? Who's going to follow the Lord? And who's going to uh, make make his ways our ways? Who's going to make his, his will our will? Who's going to surrender to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, even if it takes you in places you never expected? Who's going to do that? And this is the question that's being asked in the last day. Let me tell you something, for the people of God, what's important What's important is that we understand our position. And I, I think over these last six services here, I've, I've demonstrated enough, I think with the quotes and scriptures that I've got, that in the last day, this whole concept of the mark of the beast and the seal of God are two culminating characteristics of our time. They're the culminating characteristics of our time. Now, let me tell you what's left for you to do. Besides this commission that we discovered this morning here, where Joshua carried out everything that was commanded to Moses, Moses had the miracles, Moses had the fire follow him, Moses had the Red Sea open, and Moses, you know, called for uh, the the flies and the frogs and all of that. Moses' ministry was was full of all kinds of things. Joshua was given one thing to do, as it was with Moses, so will I be with you, and this is the this is your job to carry out the full commission that's given to Moses here and to see that it's completely done, that it's not abandoned at all. And that's the Hebrew language there. So Joshua goes into the land and he says, this is your mountain, this is your land, this is your place, this is your birthplace, this is your inheritance and he's just uh, putting the people in that adopted place uh, of their inheritance. And that's what that's what Joshua Joshua's to do in the last of it here. Now, let me say this. I believe that in the last day, with all of this that God has shown to us in these last six services here, I'd like to say this. Your job is to believe that what has been said about you is true. That may seem simple and simplistic to say, but I think that's a great challenge. You've got to believe that God chose me for this hour. God chose me for this commission. God chose me for this place. God chose me to believe this message. And God chose me for a future that is eternal. God chose me not here because of what I did, but God chose me before the foundation of the world. And God has me in his place. And therefore, I want to believe everything that God has said about me and about us in this last day. And I want to move from the defensive to the offensive. Mm-hmm. We're not here just cowering in fear and waiting for the next news report and waiting for the numbers and uh, all the other things that go on in this world. Mm-hmm. Hey, I got, I got news for you. If you've never heard it before, the world's falling apart. So every day the headlines are going to be full with ble- leak characterizations of what's going on here. It's supposed to because the world's falling apart. Mm-hmm. And so we have threats and we have rumors of wars and we have pestilences and we have earthquakes and all the other things that go on here in this world. It's just like news cycle after news cycle. They're just emphasizing the negative things that go on. But that's what happens in a world that's falling apart. Your job is not necessarily to believe all of that, although we do believe it. Our job is to believe that what God said about the people who have the seal of God is actually indeed true about me, not just about somebody else. You remember, uh, you know, like if you've ever seen a court trial and uh, somebody, you know, an attorney will be rambling on about something and the other attorney will stand up and say, Your Honor, objection, relevance. What's relevant here, what's relevant for us is that God has chosen you to do something very specific. To believe and embrace the truth that this message was sent to pick me up out of the gutter of sin Get down off the stepladder of my own moral perspective and point my life towards the kingdom and be totally focused and sold out to that. To be born again, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To love like never before. To be quick to forgive. To embrace the word and let it change you and transform you into what God predestinated you to be and to be ready to take that final step. Remember, God's here, you're here, and if God before you, who can be against you? There are no forces that are out there. As intimidating as they are and as fearful as they are, there is no darkness dark enough to quench your light. There is no dryness dry enough to quench your thirst. There is no condition out there that's able to stop the people of God. We are ordained for glory. We are ordained for the kingdom and god has has demonstrated that in the parables of the field and in all of the different uh, illustrations that are given here uh, in in the building of the ark and god says i'm going to separate noah and his family and anybody else who believes i'll separate them we're going to put them here we're going to leave the rest of the world here and we're going to do something in between those two don't think that god's not a separator don't think that that's not what God's doing now. He is. He is separating. He's sifting. He's moving through the field. And the whole idea of moving through the field is that everyone is affected by this. Everyone is 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 uh, our, our lives in a sense are changed. Where we were planted is no longer where we remain. When a combine goes through the field, it moves everything out of the way. Everything gets relocated. You're in the you're in the process of relocation. That's what's going on. You are being relocated to another kingdom. And for that, you ought to say, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. I'm glad I can say I'm one of them. That's what's happening. Jesus said, let it alone until the harvest. When the thing is mature and ripe and everything is, everything is in place, you know what? That's when everything is going to be separated. Because God's a separator. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercies to us. Thank you for such a clear message that tells us who we are and where we should be and what our commission is and what we should do, Lord. We are not responsible for coming up with rapturing faith. Lord, you've embedded it in the very message that came to us in the last day. We're not responsible, Lord, for bringing interpretation. We believe you are the revealer. We believe, Lord Jesus, that we are not ones who are supposed to change our own bodies. Lord, you are the one that delivers us from this body of death. Lord, I pray for the people. I pray that those that listen to me today would just be enriched, Lord, and they'd be blessed and encouraged and excited about where this is all taking us. But Lord, may they realize that this unrest we all feel, this disturbance in our world that we all feel is not just some fluke of nature. It's not some violation of biology but Lord, rather it is the moving of the people of God out of the field and into the Father's house. May, Lord Jesus, you just embed that in our hearts. And now, today, I pray for those who are sick. I pray for those who are needy. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just grant peace, healing, and deliverance to all those who need it today. Lord, we can't help but think about our brother Joe laying in the hospital today and just clinging on to life. And Lord, I know that his desire was never to be on a ventilator. It was his desire to live, to be restored to his family. Father, I just pray that you would just now bring healing to his body. It would take a miracle. Lord, we just pray that in the name of Jesus, that the enemy would just have to draw back. And Lord, our brother would stand again on his feet and be restored to his wife and son. And Lord, that you would just bring him back to us again. That's our prayer. Lord, the best thing we can do, the very best thing we can do is commit them into your hands. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for all those who are sick today, not feeling well, feeling battling symptoms, Lord. Mm -hmm. May God you give them just a touch from the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may you just bless every home, every household, everyone that's listening today, Lord. May your presence be felt. I commit the people into your hands, Lord. I pray that we would be able to get back together again really soon in fellowship, Lord, and in harmony again, that we can sing the praises of God. And and Lord, we know you delight in the praises of your people. Father, enrich your children, and Lord, may you bless your bride. We commit our ways to you. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your love and forgiveness. Have your way, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, saints. Until we meet again, God bless you.